0: Hello there. Welcome to my podcast, Princess and the Pea, Survivor Edition, where we talk about healing from adversity and trauma, life's sometimes seemingly impossible tests, and how these ongoing tests impact our relationships with others, as well as the one we have with ourselves. Thanks for being here. My name is Faith Christine Bergevin. You can call me Faith. So, let's take a break from trauma and talk about joy. Where does it come from, and how do we create it? You know me by now, though. What seems simple may not be. In fact, there is a dark side to joy. What I propose may seem radical, but some poets agree with me and offer clues to the answer. Today, we talk about where joy is sourced and how to access the profound depth of it. Beware, and be aware. What I share may surprise you. What of joy? And its flip side, sorrow. Quote, Then a woman said, Speak to us of joy and sorrow. And he answered, Your joy is your sorrow unmasked. End quote. By Khalil Gibran from The Prophet. We all want to be happy. It is baked into our consciousness as something to strive for. Life is so hard at times, it's a wonder we can ever be happy with the endless tasks and pressures weighing us down. Jobs must be worked to earn a living, errands completed to make life function, chores done to live in a civilized way, and endless lineups to get where we need to go. And that's just regular life as an adult. Throw in healing from trauma and adversity, and life can feel like an unending process that can't seem to bring relief. There are a lot of dark days, dark nights. There can be the feeling like we will never get out of this. And yet, we hope for better. We hope for happiness. We yearn for joy, even in the midst of our sorrow. The difference between happiness and joy. Happiness, A, a state of well-being and contentment, joy, B, a pleasurable or satisfying experience. These are definitions from the Merriam-Webster Online Dictionary. And now for joy. Joy, 1A, the emotion evoked by well-being, success, or good fortune, or by the prospect of possessing what one desires, delight. 1b. The expression or exhibition of such emotion. Gaiety. 2. A state of happiness or felicity. Bliss. 3. A source or cause of delight. Joy, as we can see from these definitions from uh, Merriam-Webster Dictionary, so joy is baked into the definition of happiness and vice versa. In many ways, joy and happiness seem to be the same and interlinked, but somehow for me, they are different. I think of happiness as some sort of external expectation society imposes on me. I will be happy when? When I get a new job, when I get money, for this item that I want, when I get a new car. It's it's fulfilled It's connected and fulfilled to an expectation, something that I will have once I achieve that contentment or pleasurable experience or some goal. But joy feels different to me. It is a word I think should have another placed in front of it. And that word is relaxed, as in relaxed joy. Joy feels like it comes from within me, From a deep and quiet place, it is an experience to embody once pain is released. Joy, for me, is thus an innate state of peace that comes after acceptance and the processing of sorrow. It is calm, peaceful, centered. When we are healing from trauma, it can seem as if there is never any joy to be found, It's a constant whirlwind of dealing with triggers, hypervigilance, chaos, and fear, and never knowing how to relax or let go. This unsettled chaos is the source that is embedded within as we endure hurt and betrayal and loss. Here is the definition of sorrow. Again, the online dictionary from uh, Merriam-Webster. Sorrow, 1A. Deep distress, sadness or regret, especially for the loss of someone or something loved. 1b. Resultant unhappy or unpleasant state. 2. A cause of grief or sadness. 3. A display of grief or sadness. In the poetry of Khalil Gibran, joy and sorrow emerge from the same place. I quote, and the self-same well from which your laughter rises was oftentimes filled with your tears. And how else can it be? The deeper that sorrow carves into your being, the more joy you can contain. Read that again, or listen to that again. The deeper the sorrow, the more joy. Is that not incredible to imagine? Because here's the thing. As we allow ourselves to feel more deeply, no longer pushing emotion down, but letting the feelings come, we release that internal stress, that pressure in our chests, and free ourselves from pain through our self-expression, leaving that deep carved space empty and ready to be filled with relaxed joy. The source of my joy. In the aftermath of my assault, I found healing in dance. It was something I delighted in, something I felt safe doing, something that helped me tap into my body and release the frozen parts of myself that were still in trauma. When dance was taken away due to the pandemic, it was devastating. I'd depended on dance to help me trust other people, especially men, Because in social dance, I permitted them to touch me. When all that stopped, when the dances stopped, I lost the process that had been working well for me, that had been helping me move on. I was healing the pain of betrayal and battered trust. With dance socials forbidden, the core source of my recovery was taken away, as was my growing ability to trust others. When dance returned, not quite a year ago now, I was relieved while uncertain. It was strange to be permitted what had been taken away, and yet I was glad for the opportunity, even if it was awkward at times to dance with others or hard to breathe, as we were still required to wear masks, and even to this day in some venues, we're still required to wear masks. Continuing to work on healing from the violence, I had been subjected to meant returning to dancing with others, as strange as it felt after the break of isolation. Dancing allowed me to resume tending to the sorrow of my relational wound, one that could only be healed in relationship with another. My sorrow was inextricably linked to my joy when I dance. Dance partners have told me that my expressiveness is fun and enriches our dance experience. For me, dance is joy. When I move to music, I feel whole and connected. Yes, sometimes I feel others give me the side eye, perhaps thinking I express too much. A dance teacher once called me dangerous as he coached my go- my dance partner and I. It was such a curious comment that I was speechless to question in the moment. I still don't understand what he meant, even as a refuse to modulate. Could it be there is envy at my ability to express my personal freedom through movement? Perhaps. If they only knew that dance saved my life, maybe they would not begrudge me my freedom. I recall dancing once with a man just before the pandemic started and a few short months after the assault. He commented on how happy I seemed, how joyous, and as I twirled away from him, it hit me with full force that infused my body, mind, and emotion. I am alive. He did not kill me. I felt the stunning realization of my survival, of being a survivor. And that it was my right to live, that he did not take it away from me. In that instant, I felt both gratitude and joy for being alive. Life's Tests A morning at a government office. Earlier this week, I spent almost three hours applying for a passport for my daughter. It was a long and draining morning. My daughter had the day off school, so I took her for coffee and a pastry. It was $2 latte day. And then the government office. She's a teen, and I've never dragged her to this kind of necessary document-getting ordeal before. We were directed from one waiting room to the next and patiently sat clutching our ticket number, waiting our turn and, just like Pavlov's dog, looking up at the computer screen every time it chimed out a new number. We made friends with others waiting as what else was there to do. I had an initial panic because the first gatekeeper to the officials pointed out a scratched out letter and said it might be a problem, that my form was marked in a way it shouldn't be. I'm like, no, I'm not filling out this form again. Thankfully, he was the only one, as once we actually spoke to the officials, first the one to inspect the documents, then the one actually verifying them, it was all good. But, In between those officials, we waited for hours on our phones, doing BuzzFeed quizzes. It turns out my frozen character, based on the buffet foods I choose, is Kristoff. I'm convinced I'm dramatic Elsa. My daughter's is Sven. Pointless and ridiculous, I know, but a way to pass the time when your very lifeblood feels like it's being drained out of your soul in an airless room under fluorescent lights where we're still required to wear masks. See? Dramatic Elsa. Still, we must persevere, maybe not in sorrow or joy, but find something to distract as we go about the mundane necessities of life. My daughter pointed to the love languages quiz. What's your love language? Gary Chapman found a goldmine when he outlined his five love languages back in the 90s. Now it is almost common knowledge as people discuss what makes you feel loved and how to communicate that with a romantic partner. So I did an internet quiz, my answers pointing to what has become my truth. My primary love language is touch. That makes sense. After surviving a violent assault, it was no wonder I recoiled from touch initially. Yet, soon after, I discovered the healing power of dance, of touch, only to have it taken away through forced isolation, thus, starving me from a touch that could help me heal. It became a need I was unable to fulfill. The ongoing nightmare was combined with my inability to maintain a relationship with a man I liked who touched like a dream. My layered stress responses short-circuited us multiple times due to a complicated trauma recovery time that took longer than I could ever imagine. It confused me while frustrating him. In looking back, I feel a certain sorrow and regret for what was taken away and what could not be, simply because of poor timing and a profound global trauma that affected everyone to one degree or another. But now that I am looking at the first month of January, I can see where my joy is, and it has emerged from my unmasked sorrow. Unmasking the sorrow. In speaking out about my sorrow, the trauma, there has been an unexpected result. The joy has come. While I cannot say my life is pain-free, whose life is, there's been a freedom that has emerged in my unmasking. I have learned this truth, that when you allow the full expression of your sorrow, you make room in your space for joy, real joy, not fabricated, not layered on top as a cover or mask, but joy that emerges from within and is not dependent on anyone else's approval or acceptance. A mentor once said something the poets already know, that when you process your sorrow, joy comes. Because you have made space for it, you have emptied your cavern of sorrow, of pain, of hurt, of trauma, so that it is now ready to be filled with all that is joyful. Khalil Gibran also says, and I quote, when you are joyous, look deep into your heart and you shall find it is only that which has given you sorrow that is giving you joy. This past weekend, I danced. Three hours on Friday, four hours on Saturday. It was a lot. But I released some of the sorrow that remained through dance. I emerged joyfully without judgment, but fresh like a child, wanting to learn and grow. I released barriers that had remained towards a relationship that once held meaning for me. I no longer feared anyone else, men's power and their ability to harm, nor others' envy. Because when you allow yourself to release your sorrow... You enter another world, one that can be misunderstood sometimes or even judged. It is a world where some might say you are dangerous. Because we are dangerous when we are no longer controlled by societal definitions of happiness and constricting social norms, when we are no longer dictated by how we express ourselves. And besides, the thing most people regret at the end of their lives it is that they didn't let themselves be happier, as fear of change had them pretending to others and to themselves that they were content. And in doing so, they lived lives that weren't true to themselves and reached the end of their lives with dreams unattempted and thus unfulfilled. So, I ask you, where is your joy? Where is your sorrow? Can you allow yourself permission to feel that range of emotion so that you can find the you that you truly are? Perhaps that's a dangerous proposition. But isn't living life for others rather than yourself more dangerous? And so it ends. Today, I have seven footnotes to share with you, and um, actually they're quite short because uh, the footnotes I leave that you can see in, if you go to my Substack page, uh, Princess and the Pea Survivor Edition, you can see the written essay with the notes, and I also have links to uh, the different places where I sourced my material. Please feel free to check it out. Um, my first footnote is the definition of happiness, and as I mentioned, I got it from the online Merriam-Webster uh, dictionary, quoting happiness. Um, my second footnote is, again, quoting joy, the, the definition of joy, sorry, uh, from the Merriam-Webster uh, dictionary. And the third footnote is the definition of sorrow, again, Merriam-Webster online. My fourth footnote is a quoting from Kilo Gibran's poem that is on Sorrow and Joy, and I find that this is quite a beautiful poem, and I'm kind of tempted to read it to you in its entirety because it's quite lovely. If you hear me, I'm moving around to find it. I wasn't planning on reading this, but now, as what happens when I do these footnotes—they're completely impromptu, not Um, planned—I have this idea, so I'm going to read it to you again. It's Khalil Gibran. It's from the poet, uh, from the the book, The Prophet. Then a woman said, "Speak to us of joy and sorrow," and he answered. Your joy is your sorrow unmasked, and the selfsame well from which your laughter rises was oftentimes filled with your tears. And how else can it be? The deeper that sorrow carves into your being, the more joy you can contain. Is not the cup that holds your wine the very cup that was burned in the potter's oven? And is not the lute that soothes your spirit the very wood that was hollowed with knives? when you are joyous look deep into your heart and you shall find it is only that which has given you sorrow that is giving you joy when you are sorrowful look again in your heart and you shall see that in truth you are weeping for that which has been your delight some of you say joy is greater than sorrow and others say nay sorrow is the greater but i say unto you they are inseparable together they come And when one sits alone with you at your board, remember that the other is asleep upon your bed. Verily, you are suspended like scales between your sorrow and your joy. Only when you are empty are you at standstill and balanced. When the treasure keeper lifts you to weigh its gold and his silver, needs must your joy or your sorrow rise or fall. That piece gives me chills. All right. Back to the footnotes. Um, Fifth footnote references Gary Chapman's theory on love. He has a book called The Five Love Languages. And um, again, if you go to my Substack page, you can find the link that takes you to an article that describes them. But I'll just go over them really briefly here. Um, The first love language is words of affirmation. So those are words that are compliments or someone saying I love you. Uh, Those are words of affirmation. Uh, The second love language is quality time. So people feel the most adored when their partner actively wants to spend time with them and always down to hang out. There's listening and eye contact and full presence that's quality time. Acts of service is valuing when your partner goes out of their way to make your life easier. So bringing you soup when you're sick or helping you out in some way. The fourth love language is gifts. So gifts are straightforward. Someone gives you a gift and it's a visual symbol of life is what Chapman calls it. It's not about monetary value, but the symbolic thought behind the item. And fifth, as I talk about in my essay, is physical touch. And so that's when a person receives uh, physical signs of affection, including kissing, holding hands, cuddling, physical intimacy, and touch can be incredibly affirming and serve as a powerful emotional connector for people with this love language. So again, the link to the article, uh, I got it from, let's see, mindbodygreen.com articles the five love languages so you can check that out or again go to my page and you'll find the link there my sixth footnote is again uh referencing Khalil Gibran's the prophet which i just read that whole poem in its entirety it's on page 40 in the book that i have which is by arcana books penguin and my seventh and final footnote is a very famous um, study by a nurse where she interviewed people on their deathbeds and asking about their top five regrets. And in this article that I link to, it's uh, oldcolonyhospice.org. It's a blog on here. And uh, they have this very short article and they list the five uh, regrets. So, the first one is, I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me, and this was listed as the most common regret of all. The second regret is, I wish I didn't work so hard, and this came mainly from male patients. They miss their children's youth and their partner's companionship. Uh, The third regret is, I wish I'd had the courage to express my feelings. Ah, yes, this is a good one, right? Um, In here, this article, they say, many people suppress their feelings in order to keep the peace. And yeah, this is one that is so hard uh, to to really navigate in our lives. It's something I personally struggle with in my intimate relationships. How do we express our feelings in a healthy way uh, so that we can become closer to the people who matter to us? So yeah, that was the third regret. And the fourth one was, I wish I'd stayed in touch with my friends. So this was people who had lost touch with meaningful uh, people from their past, and they wish they'd they'd really uh, kept those relationships going. And the fifth one is, I wish that I had let myself be happier. And so many did not realize until the end that happiness is a choice. And then I have this quote in my essay, fear of change had them pretending to others and to themselves that they were content." yeah and then oh this this actually ties in really nicely to what i've just written about joy so i quote here when deep within they long to laugh properly and have silliness in their life again they long to laugh properly deep within so what were we talking about in this essay we were talking about the depth of our sorrow when we really feel that we allow the depth of our joy to come So this is about honoring our feelings and, you know, the wisdom of those who have time to reflect on the regrets of their lives. We can take that with us here and maybe I'll do a piece on this a little more another time. But for now, I think uh, there's been enough today with discussing joy and its flip side, sorrow. Thank you for listening here. Uh, If you would like to learn more about my work, please visit my Substack publication, Princess and the Peace Survivor Edition. If you're listening here on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify or another podcast provider, um, I invite you to consider becoming a subscriber since this is a reader-supported podcast. You can get a subscription on my Substack account, This subscription will give you access to the latest articles on healing from trauma and how to deal with life's tests, and they can be delivered straight to your inbox. You'll also have access to my archives. Your support means I can continue to research, write, and produce this work. In any case, write a comment here. I'm happy to hear from you. I would love to hear from you, Uh, but I think we're, we're at the end for now. Thank you for listening. Be well.